So what we have is students that come from all over and yet they connect by learning these languages. So we have students that are, let's say, speakers of Yoruba at Cornell as well as at, at Columbia that are connecting with their heritage interests and motivations and that are forging communities of practice through the learning of these languages and talk about how meaningful that experience is. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. I'm Dan Gable, Technology Manager for the LRC. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week, on Speaking of Language. The Shared Course Initiative uses high-definition video conferencing to connect language classrooms at Cornell, Columbia, and Yale. By sharing instruction across three sites, the SCI increases the number of languages available at each university. Listen to the language center directors of these three universities discuss the SCI and what it takes to make this cross-institutional collaboration work. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. It is my pleasure to welcome two of my colleagues today, Dr. Nelike van Dusen-Scholl and Dr. Stefan Haritos. Nelike is the director of the Center for Language Study at Yale University, and Stefan directs the Language Resource Center at Columbia University. Together with Cornell, the three universities connect language classrooms via high-definition video conferencing through the Shared Course Initiative, or SCI. I am excited to talk more about this innovative cross-institutional initiative. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Nelik and Stefan. So glad that you could join me today. Happy to be here. Um, so before we get started talking in more detail about the Shared Course Initiative, could you briefly introduce yourselves um, a little bit about the work that you do and your background with languages? And Nelika, why don't you start? Sure. Um, so I um, have a, uh, I work at Yale. I'm the director of the Center for Language Study. Uh, I also have an appointment in linguistics as a professor of linguistics, and uh, I teach a course in linguistics, a graduate course for our graduate program. Um, the work that I do with the Language Center encompasses um, professional development for faculty. We have specialized programs for students, um, so it, it spans all the languages that, that we offer at Yale. Uh, my own background with languages is I'm both a linguist, but I'm also a native speaker of Dutch. And I've studied many languages in the course of my, my career, my life, uh, including a lot of ancient and dead languages like ancient Greek and uh, Old English and languages like that. Nice, wonderful. And Stefan, we already had you on our podcast in uh, the last season, uh, season two, episode 11. And some of our listeners may remember your very um, interesting, um, the, the interesting discussion that we had. But can you please share again a little bit about your background with our listeners? Sure, happy to. Uh, thanks for having me again. Uh, I enjoyed the first time. So I'm the director of the Language Resource Center at Columbia, where I do many of the same things Nelike does at Yale. Um, I'm largely in charge of looking over policies and the way we support languages at Columbia. My own background is different from Nelike's. I have a background in literature. I have a PhD in French literature, more specifically 16th and 20th century. Uh, literature, but I'm also, like her, a speaker of other languages since I natively speak French and modern Greek. 
Yeah, it's funny, isn't it, how all three of us are not native speakers of English, yet all of our Englishes are amazing. <laughs> Patting ourselves on the back here. But doesn't that also tell us something about the state of foreign education, foreign language education in this country? Oh, yeah, very true. That's a very good point. Um, so our three institutions um, have uh, this shared course initiative, and I'd like to share with our listeners a little bit more about that. And since I'm the newest kid on the block here, um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the history of how this um, SCI came about. You also know that all three of our institutions are members of the Consortium for Language Teaching and Learning, which is an organization that tries to bring uh, the IVs together, IV, IV Plus, uh, to look at issues that affect uh, language uh, instruction at our institution. So for a while, I would say for, for at least the past decade, we had been thinking about ways to collaborate on the teaching of the less commonly taught languages, and various ideas were floated back and forth. Um, and the one that seemed to make the most sense was to try to use some form of video conferencing to connect uh, two or more campuses together. So we at Columbia and Nellick at Yale ran a number of pilots, maybe uh, in 2010, 2011. Uh, I know we ran a pilot in Romanian with Penn, uh, trying to see what uh, we could do in terms of technical connections, but also start to think at the pedagogical and administrative uh, consequences of connecting to institutions to share instruction. Um, we were pretty happy with the results, and consequently, uh, we approached the Mellon uh, Foundation in 2012 and asked them if they would be willing to fund a project that would try to connect uh, three institutions. So us three, Cornell, Yale, and Columbia, to see if we could uh, share instruction in the less commonly taught languages. We were lucky enough that they agreed to this, and they gave us a five-year grant, broken down in two phases, a pilot phase and then a, a secondary phase. Um, they funded us to the tune of $2.4 million, uh, and they tasked us with you know, setting up a robust framework uh, to make sure that, A, this approach uh, was working, and B, that this approach was institutionally accepted at our institution, and I think that's one of the larger issues we, we should discuss. So we've been um, uh, with the Shared Course Initiative since 2012. Uh, I think we have grown uh, every year since 2012, both in terms of the number of languages we share, but also in terms of the depth to which we go into each of these languages. So initially, we were only sharing elementary and intermediate language courses. And slowly, we've started adding advanced language courses in many of the languages we share. I'm happy to say that when the grant ended in 2017, um, and it is proof of the success of the approach that we've, we've, we've invented, our institution decided to step in and to uh, pick up the financial burden that Mellon was previously uh, picking up for us. And I'm happy to say that the uh, Shared Course Initiative will now be uh, continued at least until uh, 2022 uh, as part of the commitment Cornell, Yale, and Columbia 
are making uh, to the Shared Course Initiative. I don't know if Nelike wants to add anything to that history. Uh, well, yeah, I, I think the other thing to add was that part of what we had um, uh, proposed to Mellon was in addition to kind of offering the language results to do some research and to have a sense of, you know, what's, what works, what doesn't work, uh, what are some of the, the affordances of this, this uh, environment, um, how is the learning going for students, how are teachers adapting to teaching this new environment. So in addition to actually offering the languages, and as Stefan was saying, we did that incrementally, so we started with just uh, two or three to begin with, and then each year we added um, we added a level, so beginning to intermediate to advanced for languages that we would add. Um, it also gave us a very unique opportunity, both longitudinally, but also kind of look at uh, a rather unique array of less commonly taught languages for research purposes um, that isn't really found anywhere in the literature. So right now we're kind of in the process of um, kind of looking at the data and seeing what's happening. One of the things that we did, I think, that is quite unique is we, we tried for the students that were willing to participate to do OPI testing where it was possible. Um, and so, again, very preliminarily, what we're seeing is that the students that are that we're learning these languages, the outcomes are as good and sometimes, in some cases, better than what they would have had in kind of traditional classrooms. So we can sort of confidently say that this environment offers a very equivalent um, learning opportunity for students and, in fact, offers students languages that maybe otherwise they would not have had. Yeah, and it's wonderful that it also connects students from different institutions. I think it's nice to see that the same less commonly taught language is valued um, at, at a different institution that other students are also interested. Um, so you both already talked about a few things that make this, um, this initiative unique. How is the way that we connect our learners and our, our instructors with our learners different from um, maybe some other online learning experiences. So this is not just a quote unquote mere online class. I'll start by saying that this is not an online uh, delivery uh, of instruction. Uh, it is synchronous face-to-face, room-to-room, high-definition video conferencing. All, all the instruction occurs face-to-face -face in real time in a synchronous manner. Students are uh, obliged to come to a room on each of the campuses and at the at the sending campus this is a regular language course that is taught regularly by the the, the faculty member that is regularly assigned to, to teach that course and at the receiving institution uh, the students are also in a room and receive that instruction or that room a view of that room on a high definition video screen so that they are partaking, in a sense, in that synchronous delivery of instruction. This is not an asynchronous online delivery system where students can work uh, at their own pace uh, on language uh, acquisition, but rather uh, they must come and participate in, in, in kind of a social uh, space where they share instruction with classmates that are, albeit not physically present, but are present virtually. Uh, Nelike again. 
Yeah, maybe I, I should add something to it because so part of my research interest is um, on heritage language acquisition. And so one of the things I've been looking at among this or within this project and among our learners is kind of, you know, what, what is the experience of heritage learners? And so what the data are showing us, first of all, that we have a fairly large percentage of students that are studying these languages for heritage reasons, and it's a variety of reasons within that. Um, so I would say about you know, 30, 40 percent or so of the participants. But what's interesting about that is that they're forging these communities of practice across these institutions. And so, and I think part of it is due to the fact that we are somewhat unique. Uh, we're, we're private, so we don't draw upon local communities. Uh, Columbia doesn't necessarily draw upon New York City. It draws upon the world. It's a global institution. It draws on the world, as does Cornell, as does Yale. And so when students come to our institutions, it's not like maybe uh, an institution where the there may be a local community, a, a Russian-speaking community or Chinese-speaking community that brings large numbers of students into those programs. So what we have is students that, um, that come from all over, and yet they connect by learning these languages. So we have students that are, let's say, speakers of Yoruba um, at Cornell, as well as at, at Columbia, that are connecting with their heritage interests and motivations, and that are forging communities of practice through the learning of these languages and talk about how meaningful that experience is. So I think that's, that's one thing that this particular um, uh, learning environment can can promote and we see that in multiple languages where they're saying you know I, I, I I'm having connections that I didn't think were possible with people that are coming from the same background so I think that's a, that's a huge advantage of this this way of doing it as opposed to other technologies yeah I think what's also nice is that um, the initiative is open not only to students who are enrolled um, at our institutions, but that um, lifelong learners like faculty members can sit in on some of these classes, right? If they have research interests and they want some proficiency in um, these languages so that we can really offer opportunities and, and insights into these languages and, and cultures for people for research purposes, right? So not only supporting the heritage learners, but also all sorts of um, different reasons why learners may be interested in taking these classes. Yeah, absolutely. But I do need to underscore that these are regular uh, institutional offerings. Uh, they carry the same credit as any other courses that are taught at any of our institutions. And they follow the same regulations uh, that govern uh, uh, these classes. People shouldn't think of these courses as some sort of uh, additional uh, courses, courses that are offered outside of regularly offered uh, uh, classes. These are credit-bearing uh, courses at each institution uh, that students can use to fulfill the language requirement or to fulfill any other requirement they might have. Absolutely, yeah. And, and um, I know of a few um, staff members here who take these classes and they are enrolled in the classes, so they don't just sit in, right? I mean, this is not just for non-credit fun learning, but definitely academically rigorous, certainly. We have done about 21 languages over the years. And when you look at what those languages are, I mean, they're hardly ever taught anywhere. You know, when we say less commonly taught languages, what that means varies 
um, their national definitions and, and their institutional definitions. There's the MLA, the top 15 languages, but these languages um, don't even go within that top 15. There are, there are languages like Serbian, Bosnian, Croatian, Romanian, Sinhala, Yoruba. So they, they span the world, but there are languages that I think very few institutions are able to support. And moreover, I think to the point that you were making, Angelica, is that you know we have research with our grad students or our faculty uh, that is global in nature, where these languages are really important, and the, the, the ability of you know research institutions like ours to continue these languages and prepare people for that kind of work is really very important. Yeah. So for anybody who wants to find out more information, the website is sharedcourseinitiative.org. So we've mentioned that this is a complex um, interinstitutional, cross-institutional initiative. What's the success recipe? I mean, I was I was so intrigued when I um, started my position here that three Ivy League institutions work together and make this happen. This is not necessarily the norm. So what's the what's the success recipe here? I, I think it's crucial that, and I think we learned this over the the. the six, seven years that we've been doing this. But if you're thinking of doing this, that you carefully choose your partners. You need to choose partners that have synergies with you, uh, I think. Uh, otherwise, it becomes very, very difficult to try to align cultures together. If someone, if one of the partners joining uh, a partnership with a particular object in mind, uh, and that objective is not uh, congruent to the objectives of the other two partners, um, then it becomes very, very difficult to make uh, the partnership work. So I think it's very crucial that one spend a little time thinking about what are natural partners. Um, I know this raises the issue that this is a quote-unquote symmetrical uh, partnership and what would happen for asymmetrical partnership. And this is something that we've started thinking about, but I would uh, urge people who are thinking or considering doing partnership to begin uh, with the issue of uh, finding partners that share common uh, values, uh, I would say, uh, among themselves. Um, when I first uh, started with the SCI, I was convinced that the biggest issues were going to be technical uh, in, in, in nature, that we would find it very, very difficult to connect and to maintain a steady connection amongst three partner schools. Actually, the initial uh, Mellon grant had written in positions for tech uh, people to be present in the classroom, in each classroom oh, wow. we taught. Uh, and very quickly, within a semester, we realized that not only were these people not needed, but that the technical issues were really not uh, what would make or break uh, this partnership. Actually, the biggest obstacles are administrative uh, in, uh, in, in nature. And, you know, universities are by nature uh, islands in a stream. Uh, they have their own local culture, and it's very, very difficult to change cultures. Um, and what you're basically asking an institution to do is to accept that some of the expertise they need is not located locally and that they have to share uh, with partners 
in, in, in order to acquire that, that expertise. And that's, that's, that's a shift in attitude and in culture, which, is, uh, which has to be navigated very diplomatically uh, and, 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 and in a very uh, calm and, and, and well-thought-out manner because it can raise all kinds of problems. I don't know what Nellike's opinion are on this. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I should add that we've done a lot of workshops and presentations across the country, and there has been a lot of interest in replicating the model. And I think what we always try to say is um, what is really crucially important, what, what Stefan was pointing out, was that you, know, you really need to start at a high administrative level. I mean, this has to have buy-in from the administrators that understand that this is kind of an added value to the institutions, and that agreements need to be made that can only be made at a certain level, you know, the, the agreements to, to not share tuition or, you know, to leave the credit at each institution is something that, you know, instructors don't have power over, but an, an administrator would. So, um, and, and then it becomes an issue also what is appropriate for, um, you know, for your institution. So if it's a liberal arts college, it may be a different language. You know, it, it, it may not be Serbian, Bosnian, Croatian, but there may be another need there. Um, and it may just have a different, uh, the context just may, may be different. So um, we, we're seeing that kind of replication. There have been liberal arts colleges in Connecticut. There were several state universities that are, are doing this now. But it, it takes on a different character in each case, as Stefan was saying, because it has to fit the local traditions and cultures of these institutions. Yeah, I mean, I can just reiterate that I really um, am so appreciative of the work that um, you have done to to launch this initiative and that I can um, be a part of this here. Um, I have observed all of the classes that we send and um, I have spoken with a number of our students and they are all so excited about the opportunities that they have. Um, students really gravitate toward this kind of model of language learning and teaching. Um, so it's been really uh, wonderful for me to see um, that this, this initiative works and um, again, that, that, we, that we make it work amongst the three institutions despite some of the administrative challenges. Are there any new things on the horizon for the continuation or possible expansion of the SCI? Yeah, so the next uh, step for us right now is to write up what we have, um, what we've experienced. So the, it will be two, two pieces. One is, is really um, talking about how it all works in from technology perspective, administrative, and then two is the analysis of the data from the learner perspective, from the teacher perspective, and so on. So that's that's kind of an immediate goal that we have to try to get that written up because if we think it's important if you, you know, that other people can kind of read about it. We were often asked to do that, so that's that's a, that's a very immediate goal. Um, more pedagogically, I think you have had some conversations at Columbia, so maybe you're. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're trying to see how we can adapt this model to other disciplines, uh, uh, not necessarily language disciplines. There are other disciplines that are facing many of the same issues, the less commonly taught languages we're facing, and in particular, more enrollments, including uh, 
courses at the PhD level, you know, some of all of our institution offer, you know, 90 plus PhDs and some of the seminars, some of the classes taught at the very highest levels are very, very low. Levels. Uh, and, you know, the idea is here to see how we can, again, uh, share enrollments uh, amongst the three institutions. Uh, we've been talking, as I said, about the possibility of doing asymmetrical uh, partnership, uh, perhaps with uh, institutions that do not share the same research institution profile that we have. Uh, but again, these are initial conversations. Uh, we've been discussing ways of using uh, the shared course initiative models to support um, language for specific purposes in some of the less commonly taught language. That would mean us working perhaps with entities uh, such as uh, the School of Social Work or the School of Public Health or med school to try to bring their expertise on board and to see how we can share their expertise together with, with language. But all these are initial conversations. Um, if I can say something, I mean, what we're doing, you know, uh, is part of what I would call a larger trans turn. I mean, we've talked about the social turn and the multilingual turn and the spatial turn. And I think we're now trying to, we're starting to experience what, what, what's been called a trans turn, a turn towards trans modalities. This idea that we need to start looking beyond uh, disciplinary, departmental, programmatic uh, boundaries and find ways to collaborate and cooperate and share. Uh, and I think, you know, this, this initiative is, is I don't want to say at the forefront, but it's one of the first institutional initiatives that tries to do this for uh, languages in, its partic in general, but in particular, less commonly taught languages. So, you know, I, I'd like to see how we can inscribe this project within this more, this broader theoretical framework. Yeah, those are some exciting possibilities and things you're already concretely working on. Wonderful. One, one thing I think I should add, is, you know, maybe also, is, I, I don't know, for people that have read the latest um, MLA findings, it was just in a chronicle, yeah. you know, the, we have lost a net 650 language programs over the last few years. So I think more and more, a model like this may have to come into play for uh, institutions that are at risk for the example that I gave of the Connecticut um, state system, you know, the languages that they're interested in sharing are French and German. Mm -hmm. So we're not just talking less commonly taught languages. I think we're talking about the survival of language programs potentially that may, you know, need shared solutions. And so that's something I think pertains to all institutions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk about this exciting initiative today. It was great having both of you on the podcast. Much appreciated. Thank you. Don't share your snow with us. <laughs> well, I, I can't promise not to do that. <laughs> Next week, we will speak with Mona Eichelpohn about language learning and disabilities. Tune in to hear more about some of the strategies learners and educators can employ to support students with disabilities. Until then, auf Wiederhören! The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or look for Cornell LRC on Facebook and Twitter.
Speaking of Language is produced by Sam Lupwitz and Dan Gable. Recorded by Sam Lupwitz. Original music by Sam Lupwitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners and do stay tuned for our next episode.